0: Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today because we know that God is already here and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. So, like I said, today is the second of two parts based upon a pivotal conversation between Jesus and his first disciples. And it begins with a question, this conversation, a question asked by Jesus. After inquiring about the opinion of the crowds as to his identity, Jesus pivots and then asks his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And to be clear, this is not any question. This is the question, the question for all who encounter Jesus. This is the question that all who encounter Jesus must answer, especially those who claim to follow him. But who do you say that I am? And as we learned last week, this was really the the crux of last week's message, this is one of those questions for which a pat answer will not suffice. And a pat answer, if you've never heard that term before, a pat answer is a simple, default, perfunctory response, something that's said quickly without any real thought. Sometimes because we've not really thought about it, but sometimes because we've just kind of default, we've, we've said it so often, it's just, it's just rote for us. And the thing is, all too often, as we talked about last week, we rely on and repeat pat answers when it comes to proclaiming who Jesus is. As Christians, we can be well-practiced in parroting back what we've heard or learned from others, offering boilerplate responses, dressed up in churchy language, without, and this is the key, without ever speaking from any experience of having lived life with Jesus. We all know the right thing to say about Jesus. That's why we're here. We all know to say that Jesus is the Messiah, But one of the pivotal moments last week was acknowledging that too many of us strain and struggle to articulate how exactly Jesus is my Messiah. Most Christians can declare Jesus is Lord and Savior, that Jesus is Lord and Savior because Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and then defeated death through his resurrection and whoever believes in Jesus will go to heaven when they die. And while this is most certainly true, such words become nothing more than a pat answer as to the question of what the gospel is, a pat answer as to the question of who Jesus is, if we cannot express how Jesus is our Lord and Savior, specifically how Jesus reigns in our lives, particularly how Jesus saves us here and now from ourselves. And so last week, the conclusion we came to was the only way we can fully come to know who Jesus is, is not by giving a pat answer. What we've grown up with hearing all the time, what we've learned and just simply say, well, this is what I was told, or this is what I said. The only way we can know who Jesus fully is, is not by giving a pat answer to his question. It is by unrelentingly following Christ, living the answer By continuing to listen and learn from the Word and the Spirit, to learn from the Word and the Spirit how to think, how to speak, how to act, how to live like Jesus. And that brings us to today's scripture, the rest of the conversation where Jesus answers this question the question of what it means to follow Him. So, as the words are on the screen or you're looking in your Bible, let us listen attentively and carefully. Again, as we come to the end of this conversation, then he, Jesus, said to them all, his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world Yet lose or forfeit their very self. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And this is, there's one more verse, but I, so I will read it. That's fine. The important part of the last part of this conversation, sorry. As Jesus says, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here today will not see death before they see the kingdom of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So how are we to follow Jesus? What does it look like? How are we to follow Jesus? What does it look like? Some might answer it this way. Following Jesus looks like reading and studying the Bible. Praying, being a part of the church. Interestingly, being in the Word of God, praying to our Father, living and acting not alone but in community together, these are practices Jesus models for us, but Jesus doesn't necessarily associate them with following Him. In other words, while these practices orient, guide, and empower us in knowing the way, truth, and life of Jesus, they are not the defining characteristics of what it means to follow Christ. So again, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Others might answer, following Jesus looks like living according to the great commandment and the great commission, Love God by loving your neighbor as yourself. Tell others about Jesus. Serve others in the name of Christ. Lead others to Jesus and make disciples, followers of Christ. And while this response is certainly on point, while these are specific and direct commands Jesus gave to those who would purpose to be his disciples, what is missing is how exactly we fulfill these imperatives. In other words, how are we to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? How are we to tell others about Jesus, to serve others in Christ's name, and ultimately point and teach others not just to believe in, but to pursue Jesus with their whole lives? Again, what does it look like to follow Jesus? And it's here in Luke chapter 9, that Jesus answers that question. Answers the question of what Christ-like love and service entails. Of what the shape of our witness to him as our Messiah, as our Lord and Savior, what it ought to look like. And if you were listening, the very first thing Jesus declares that following him requires is denial of self. Denial of self. Now, it's very important we understand what this means and what it does not. The self-denial to which Jesus calls us is not self-neglect or self-abuse. Each one of us is uniquely, fearfully, and wonderfully made by our Creator. Jesus is not calling for the eradication of our uniqueness, Jesus is not calling for the squelching or throwing away of the particular callings, resources, and gifts God has given to us. And likewise, Jesus is not directing us to neglect our God-given feelings or to ignore particular sensitivities and vulnerabilities that we each possess when it comes to entering into certain situations. Environments that will be particularly toxic or unhealthy for us, Or harmful to others. In other words, biblical self denial is not about beating ourselves up physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually, inflicting unnecessary self harm, all for the sake of proving our devotion to Christ. And it's important we hear this because there's a strain of this that's lasted for years in the church. That somehow, if we beat ourselves up, we're doing it for the Lord. Somehow, if we're just inflicting pain upon ourselves or walking into situations that are painful, that somehow we're doing it all for Jesus. And that's we need to be really clear about what Jesus is saying and what he is not. The self-denial to which Jesus calls us is the denial of our ultimate reliance upon ourselves. Hear that. Our ultimate reliance upon ourselves While we are not to deny who we are, while we are not to deny who we are, that's not the same thing as recognizing whose we are. Acknowledging that all of us, we are all, we are each, not all that we can be, not all that we were meant to become by our Creator. We live in a world, a creation that is beautiful, yet broken. That's not the way it's supposed to be because we, while beautifully made in the image of God, we too are broken. And our brokenness manifests itself in the fact that we all, at some level, in some degree, more, some more than others, but it's the same basic issue, we all falsely believe and act as if we are the lords and saviors of ourselves. As if we are the lords and saviors of ourselves. But when each of us lives and answers only for themselves, chaos and suffering result. We see it all around us every day. When each of us lives and answers only for ourselves, chaos and suffering results. Inequity, injustice, poverty, hunger, violence, war. Lives get built on the backs of others. The worth of another person fluctuates based on the perception of those in power. We become territorial. Dare I say, nimby. Not in my backyard. We become territorial rather than collaborative. We turn a blind eye rather than lend a helping hand. So biblical self-denial is forsaking the myth that we can fix or save ourselves. It's refusing to accept the premise that we have all we need in our own logic, our own strength, our own sense of right and wrong, that we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, that we are each masters of our own destiny. Biblical self-denial is the rejection of the lie of self-determination and self-reliance. It is challenging the widely held assumption that we live for. We are responsible only for ourselves rather than together being each other's brother and sister. And therefore each other's keeper. So my friends, to deny ourselves as Jesus calls us to is to go beyond paying lip service to Jesus' death as the means of the forgiveness of our sins and ultimate salvation It's more than just saying Jesus forgives our sins and we go to heaven when we die. To deny ourselves as Jesus calls us to is to functionally and practically rely not on ourselves but on the ongoing grace given to us by Jesus. It is repeatedly yielding to Christ's ongoing work of the transformation of our character and purpose of saving us, not just from sin. Man, Christians are really good at saying Jesus forgives us and saves us from our sin. But you want to really expose where we are with pat answers, ask somebody to declare what their sins are. What sins is Jesus saving you from? Because knowing who Jesus is, following Jesus, is not about giving a pat answer. Jesus has saved me from my sins. Glory, hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's articulating, even if it's just you and Jesus, articulating specifically how Jesus doesn't just save you from sin, how Jesus saves you from yourself. How does Jesus save you from yourself? And if that pricks, well, I don't need saving from myself, now you're starting to understand. I need help from sin out there, but I don't need help from being saved from myself. I'm fine which Jesus says if you want to follow me that's the first thing you need to get over you're fine you need to deny yourself biblical self-denial is surrendering our inclination towards self-centeredness and self-interest and learning from Jesus learning from Jesus how to notice and enter into the experience and needs of another person Biblical self denial is repenting of our singular fixation on self indulgence and self gratification. No one has to tell us to consume. We consume very, very easily. In fact, we overconsume very, very easily. But Jesus is wanting us to repent of our singular fixation on consumption, self-indulgence and self-gratification, and instead discovering, again, thanks to Jesus, the greater joy and satisfaction of giving, the deeper and wider investment and cascading dividends of generosity and compassion that come from a daily posture of self-discipline, self-sacrifice, of seeking the good of others. As Paul writes, looking not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. But we're all friends. We can tell the truth, right? This kind of self-denial does not come easy for us. Beating ourselves up may not come easy, but it comes easier to say, oh, we're suffering for Jesus, we're beating ourselves up, we're taking on, says we're doing it for the Lord. That's toxic, that's not healthy, but that's easier than the kind of self-denial Jesus is really talking about. Laying aside our self-centeredness, laying aside our self-determination, laying aside our self-will, laying aside our self-gratification, laying aside our self-tendency towards self-indulgence. That kind of self-denial does not come easy for us. Why does it not come easy for us? Because it goes against the grain of the majority of what surrounds us and influences us every single day. As every sales advertisement, most modern philosophies, much of what we read and hear, the people we follow on Instagram, Twitter, tw- you know, whatever your social media platform is that we follow and idolize, it goes against what we have constantly bombarding us, which is this philosophy, this idea that assures us life is all about me. It's all about my rights, It's all about my desires, it's all about my dreams, it's all about my comforts, it's all about my convenience. Ask yourself, just a quick litmus test. We all have money, some more than others. What defines, what ultimately drives how you spend your money? Jesus' financial plan or your desires, your dreams, your comfort, your convenience? Your rights. Anyone remember growing up, was it McDonald's? You deserve a break today. You deserve a break today, man. Don't feel bad about that break. You deserve it. And I'm not saying that anyone doesn't deserve a break. But it's, it's, just, it's within everything that surrounds us that ultimately says, you need to put yourself first. And I'm here to tell you, with rare exception, most of us don't need much push to put ourselves first. We're pretty good. And even those of you go, I don't. I do all kinds of things for everybody. Why do you do all those things for everybody? To make yourself feel better, to tell yourself you're a good person. So I'm sorry if this is the first time you're hearing it. All those things you're doing for other people, if you're doing so that they notice, so that you feel better, so that you're a good person, you're doing them for yourself. We don't have to be pushed to do things for ourselves. And that's probably why the fact that it's so hard for us to deny ourselves because we're just told not to. We, We can have it all and we should have it all. That's perhaps why Jesus pushes the matter further as he calls us, did you catch it, not just to deny ourselves, but secondly, to take up our cross in following him. Taking up our cross and following Jesus. Now, many have internalized the idea that taking up one's cross for Christ that what that is is bearing with a difficult struggle or burden that we are bound to carry in life. That's how most people understand carrying one's cross for Christ. I mean, have you ever heard or yourself as a Christian ever said in relation to an ongoing physical burden that you have, a continuing continually challenging financial situation, living situation, job situation, maybe an ongoing difficult struggle with a family member or a friend. Have you ever heard someone say, have you ever said, well, this is just my cross to carry. I'm just carrying my cross for Jesus. And by the way, that's where you tiptoe into the line of, I'm just suffering for the sake of the kingdom. But something that's interesting All those examples, an ongoing physical burden, a challenging financial situation, living situation, job situation, an ongoing struggle with a family member or a friend, all of these crosses to bear, notice they're not only all different from person to person, but notice they're also all external in nature. But listen carefully. The cross Jesus is referring to is the one we all have in common. It's not different from person to person at its base. It's all the same. And this common cross that we all must bear has less to do with what is happening outside of us, outside of our lives, as it does with what is happening inside of us. Because again, our shared burden or cross is our addiction to ourselves. What Jesus is telling those who want to follow him is the only way we manage denial of self is by dying to self. The only way we manage denial of self is by dying to self. The only way we stop being self-centered is by letting Jesus put to death the notion that it's all about me. The only way we cease from stubbornly trying to self-determine our existence is by crucifying our insistence that we are in control of our lives. The only way we kick the habit, break our addiction to constant self-indulgence and self-gratification is by letting the Lord kill the craving. Kill the craving of trying to find lasting satisfaction and peace through whatever we can consume. Food, alcohol, drugs, money, sex, pleasure, job titles, shopping, gambling, vacations, any aspect of life, even a relationship that we try to substitute in place of our need for God. Because at its heart, Christ's call for us to deny ourselves and take up our cross means relinquishing anything that competes with and stands in the way of our devotion to Jesus. Again, anything. Possessions, power, achievements, personal glory, pride, the accolades and approval of others. Anything that scratches the itch of our compulsion to self needs to be surrendered to Jesus if we seek to follow him. Because letting Christ treat the symptoms accomplishes nothing if we don't let Jesus have full access to heal the root cause of what ails us. And this underscores something else about the image that Jesus invokes here. The cross. The Roman cross was a means of carrying out the death sentence. And as we witness in the life of Christ, a condemned criminal would carry the, the, the actual cross that he or she would be hung upon. The instrument of their death became not only what would in the end take their life, but the instrument of their death became the burden they were forced to carry on the way to their death. So utilizing this particular imagery, Jesus is conveying the reality that dying to self is a step-by-step journey and not a one-time event. Christ died once for all the sins and brokenness of our lives and world. But notice what Jesus speaks about here is not his cross, but our cross. And Jesus, look you'll miss this word, Jesus presents our cross, our denial of self by dying to self, as something daily. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Meaning, it's an ongoing work of process to deny ourselves by dying to ourselves. And so here it is. That means that our confession and repentance towards Christ... Is not a one and done at the moment of our baptism. It's not even a weekly renewal on Sunday when we come to the table for communion. No. Following Jesus means each day we take up our cross, every day we live for the Lord. Empowered by the Spirit, we begin again every day by confessing our need for Christ, by repenting of our addiction to self and letting go and learning each day how to be a new creation, how to think, how to walk and talk, how to act, how to encounter and interact with others like Jesus. Beloved, by dying, Jesus gives us life. By dying, Jesus gives us life. But it is only by dying to ourselves that we receive the life that Christ comes to give. Because notice, Jesus says, follow me after he has laid out the need for denial to self that can only come through dying to ourselves. It's only at the end. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me. We know those words. But why do we follow someone? Why do we follow someone? Well, we follow someone because on the one hand, we want to go where they're going. We want to be where they are. Their destination aligns with where we want to find ourselves. But at a deeper level, we follow someone we seek to be like. We respect and admire how they make the journey how they navigate the path. And so we seek to learn and mirror their character, their posture, their decisions, their actions as we press forward. We all have people we look up to in our lives. We all have mentors. Someone who we go, you know what, I don't, it's twofold. I don't just want to be where they are, but I like how they got there. I want to get there the way they got there. The question is, is your number one mentor Jesus Christ? Do you even look at Jesus as a mentor? And again, where most of us stop short is we all want to be where Jesus is. Eternal life? Heaven? Sign me up. I want to be there. But what we've internalized is Jesus just swoops in and grabs us wherever the heck we find ourselves and will take us there. But Jesus says, follow me. Because Jesus, like all the other relationships in our lives, more than all the other relationships in our lives, says, if you want to be where I am, then you ought to follow the way that I've gone. And if you say, you love me, if you say, Jesus, it's you, it's only you, if you say, Jesus, you are my Messiah, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior, then wouldn't you want to think the way I think? Wouldn't you want to talk the way I talk? Wouldn't you want to act the way I act? Wouldn't you want to make the decisions that I make? And the question is, if you're not on your way, we're works in progress, if you're not on your way to thinking like Jesus, if this is new to you, if you're thinking, I've never thought of this before, thinking like Jesus, speaking like Jesus, here's the the question you need to start with. Who are you thinking like? Who are, whose talk are you mirroring? Who are you acting like? Who is, what is driving the actions and decisions you make? You see, this is where the rubber beats the road. It's, it's not just about what we sing and pray and confess. It's about how we live. And we got to get into the brass tacks of actually reflecting and evaluating how are we living. Don't tell me what you say. Tell me what you do. Not because what you do will save you. Jesus saves us because what you do is going to be you're either in alignment with Christ or you're, Jesus is over here and you're all the way over here. And as I mentioned last week, the people within the community of faith, I'm not talking outside the church, I've never heard Jesus, I pray I don't hear nothing, I don't feel like I've changed. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. We can't and we won't be following Jesus. Hear this, we can't and we won't be following Jesus if Jesus is not the basis of who we are. If Jesus is not the motivation for what we do, if Jesus is not the model for how we live, it is a dangerous misperception to think, and some of us are suffering from this misperception. It is a dangerous misperception to think that following Jesus means simply adding Jesus to your life. Many will claim they follow Christ and yet all they're really doing is living their lives with Jesus now added into the mix. They read their Bible. They pray. They come to church on Sunday. They do good things serving others in the name of Jesus. They listen to Christian radio. They speak the language of Christianity. They hang out with Christian friends. But in their day-to-day lives, when you strip it all down, when you get behind their motivations, when you inventory who or what they are living for, nothing has changed. It's still fundamentally about my will, my way, my truth, my life. Beloved, Jesus doesn't come to be an accessory and add on to our lives. Jesus doesn't ask us to invite him to be a part of the life we're living. Can I come? Jesus comes and invites us to live his life, his full, abundant, and everlasting life, not in part, but in whole. And we can only live that life by submitting our will, submitting our way, submitting our truth, submitting our life to Christ, and continually following where Jesus leads us. Walking as he walked, trusting as he trusted, speaking as he spoke, forgiving as he forgave, loving as he loved why do we resist this? Why do we resist this kind of life? Full, abundant, everlasting life. Life which is the life we all long for. Why do we resist it? Why don't we follow Jesus? Because if we're honest, no one likes to die. Let alone die to themselves. I'm going to say something that's going to maybe offend you. Offend us. And I don't mean it just to be offensive. I mean it for us to, to prick us. But many of us prefer the devil we know over the Jesus we don't. Even if that's the devil inside of us. I mean, if we really get down to it, if we count the cost, as Jesus will say elsewhere, we wonder, why do we have to do this? Why? Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to die to ourselves? What's wrong with a casual relationship to Christ instead of a committed one? I mean, isn't a casual relationship with Jesus better than no relationship at all? Did you listen? Because the idea that a casual relationship with Jesus is better than no relationship with all, not according to Jesus. Not according to Jesus as he asks this question. What does it profit someone? What does it profit someone if he or she gains the whole world and loses or forfeits themselves. Jesus assures us, he asserts, that for for all that we may appear to gain, even the whole world, it will never be enough. Our happiness will be momentary and dependent on our treasures, whatever our treasure is. And when we lose our treasure, whatever it is we treasure above God, whenever we lose whatever we treasure above God, we will fall apart we will fall apart until we seize and claim another treasurer. And then the cycle will repeat over and over and over again. We will just keep running in circles as we compare and contrast what we treasure with what we once treasured, what we treasure with what others treasure. And all along the way, as we gather up our different treasures, the things are precious, the things that we value above God, that fear that drives us that nagging emptiness inside of us, it won't go away. It'll just keep saying more, more, more. And even if, and I know some of you are like, I don't, I don't have any of these problems, Pastor Chris. I'm a very content person. Well, I'm looking at you. Because even if we convince ourselves that we have everything we need, I'm not one of these people. I'm convinced I have everything we need. Well, listen carefully because you're still just marking time you're still just marking time until you have to let it go. Until your treasure becomes someone else's treasure. Until your treasure becomes someone else's trash. We only lose ourselves when we live only for ourselves. We only lose ourselves when we live only for ourselves. Because you see, Jesus is the only treasure we don't compete for. Jesus is the only treasure we don't compete for because Jesus is the treasure that's given and shared for all the world. Jesus is the only treasure that cannot be taken from us, that we'll never have to let go of because Jesus is the treasure none of us can earn, none of us can inherit, none of us can achieve on our own. The only way we can lose the treasure that is Christ is not to receive it, not to take hold of him, not to follow Jesus I don't know about you, but I've logged too many miles running my own race. I've logged too many miles running my own race, you know? Perceiving Jesus as my cheerleader. Go, Chris, go. Perceiving Jesus as my on-call therapist. Chris, what do you need now? And if all else falls apart, perceiving Jesus is my fail-safe. Who cares what I do? Who cares what I think? Who cares what I say? Who cares how I act? Because I've accepted Jesus into my heart and I know I'm going to heaven when I die. If you ask me, I'd tell you Jesus is our Messiah. I'd proclaim Christ to be our Lord and Savior. Amen, hallelujah. But functionally, again, practically, I was the king of my castle. I was the captain. I am the captain now. I was the captain of my journey. And whenever I hit a snag, you know, whenever I ran into an obstacle, whenever I encountered some unforeseen storm in my life, oop, I'd be on my knees, I'd confess, I would repent, and I would try to hand the keys to Jesus. But here's the thing, and with all respect to Carrie Underwood, While I was trying to ask Jesus to take the wheel, I wasn't willing to give him ownership of the car I was driving. While sometimes my circumstances would change, and I would say, Thank you, Jesus, and sometimes my circumstances wouldn't change, and I'd go, What the heck, Jesus? While sometimes my circumstances would change, and sometimes they wouldn't, here's the common denominator I never changed. I never changed. My faith never grew because I never exercised any faith in Jesus. All I was exercising, you can see it, right? All I was exercising was my will, trying to get Jesus to fit into my truth, into my way, into my life. I just kept coming back to the same place, going out on my own until I ran out of gas or smacked into a wall, and then I was always looking for simple, immediate results. Because Jesus is our Messiah. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Come on! And as a result, the Jesus I came to know became the Messiah of my own making. The one who reigned in my life when I wanted him to. The one who saved me when I decided I needed saving. But that's not the real Jesus. That's not the Jesus talking here. It pains me. It, I'm, I feel naked right now, okay? That's not the real Jesus. That's not the Jesus talking here. The realization was that was me trying to be my own personal Jesus rather than following Christ. And I'm giving you an, a, cap, a caps, you know, condensed <laughs> journey, intentionally, But fast forward, it is only when I started treasuring Jesus. Rather than looking for Jesus to bring and secure the treasures I wanted, it's only when I started treasuring Jesus that I began to learn who Jesus truly is. And began to discover that the life I was settling for, the me I was settling for, was not the life that God had for me. I was missing the person I could become. I was missing the life I could experience. And I don't want you to hear this story as before and after. I'm a work in progress just like you. I still have my moments where Jesus is here and I'm out here. But more and more, I don't stay out there that long. I don't think I'd like that window to be shorter. More and more, I realize that When I actually follow Jesus, my life isn't necessarily always smooth, but it's better. My relationships are better. I am better. I talk about the person I could become, the life I could experience. What does that life look like? It's a life marked increasingly less by fear and insecurity. Are you driven like I was by fear, like I can sometimes be, by fear and insecurity? Because following Jesus is a life marked increasingly less by fear and insecurity and more by trust and assurance. It's a life with more and more vision, more and more capacity, more and more means for generosity, for compassion and curiosity instead of a narrow mindset of scarcity and self-protectedness. When I'm far from Jesus, it's always can't, won't, won't, can't, won't, not possible, what are they thinking? What are they doing? I live apart from Jesus, I live out of a place of scarcity and self-protectiveness. But when I follow Jesus, suddenly my eyes are open, my capacity is open, and I find myself who believed before I couldn't spare a thing, being more generous, more compassionate, and before where I judged everything, anything I didn't understand, anything that I didn't didn't line up with what I thought, being not judgmental but curious, Jesus. What does that life with Jesus look like? It looks like a life less and less haunted by failure or potential suffering. My gosh, to step back and realize how much failure can drive what we do or don't do. How much we can be afraid of suffering can drive what we don't do. And instead, by following Jesus, I discovered a life of deepening courage in being stretched. Courage to be stretched and an openness and anticipation, even in the midst of what may come for the possibility of growth. Can you relate to what I've shared Is your life all about Christ or is your life all about you? I asked this question last week. I'm going to ask it again. How much is Jesus a part of who I am? How much is Jesus a part of who I am becoming? Where in our lives does our profession that we are following Jesus not line up with how we're living our lives day to day? How is Jesus calling you today to deny and die to yourself so that you can live more fully in and through him. Because Jesus promises, right? He promises here that in dying to ourselves in order to follow him, we will, what we re- will receive will be far greater than whatever we give up as he declares, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. My friends, following Jesus never ends on the cross. It always leads to Resurrection. Just as our physical death in Christ is never a dead end but becomes a doorway to new and eternal life, dying to ourselves in following Jesus always results not in the loss of who we are but in the beginning of the discovery, the journey into becoming the best version of ourselves. We have no idea what we're capable of. We have no idea what we're capable of. All we can do through Christ who strengthens us The contentment we can experience. The blessings we can share. We have no idea until we have begun to live in Christ. Jesus ends this conversation with these words. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And these words, this statement isn't as mysterious or cryptic as it may first sound. Because whereas we often reduce the gospel as going to heaven when we die of experience salvation in the next life, let us remember at the outset of his ministry, at the start of it all, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God is now present among us. And Jesus teaches us, those who follow him, to pray for our eyes to see glimpses of God's reign on earth as it is in heaven in our day-to-day lives. So here, in saying that some of his disciples would not die until they first saw the kingdom of God, Jesus is reaffirming this same idea, that not all eternal things are future things. Jesus is stating that denying and dying to ourselves, following him, is how we are able to catch a glimpse, get a taste to bear witness to God's reign here and now. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because the more we let go of having our own way, exercising our own will, arguing for our own truth, the more we are able to see God's way, to perceive God's will, to understand God's truth, to witness God's kingdom being unveiled before us. And what does it look like? Have we forgotten? What does it look like, the kingdom of God? What do we learn from watching and listening to Jesus, from following Christ? What we learn is that the kingdom of God looks like building bridges of reconciliation and unity, even as others draw lines of separation and build walls of division. We learn that the kingdom of God looks like not ignoring or shying away from the pain of suffering of this world, but at the same time also not giving in to the despair and hopelessness in the midst of it all. What does the kingdom of God look like? The kingdom of God looks like facing obstacles and challenges, walking through tough times, admittedly tough times, not from a place of cynicism, envy, or apathy, but believing and trusting God will bring you out the other side. And in that conviction, purposing to learn, grow, and mature through it all. The kingdom of God looks like entering into the struggles of others, not with an air of superiority or from a posture of judgment, but instead seeking to help, shoulder, and alleviate their burdens wherever and however the Lord leads. The kingdom of God looks like practicing hospitality and extending forgiveness even when doors are slammed in your face, even when others can continue to hold a grudge against you. The kingdom of God looks like daily looking for ways to make a difference for the betterment of all, to give, to serve, to partake in Christ's redemptive work in all creation, and to shine for the glory of God. Beloved, we must not profess to speak of Jesus as our Messiah, as our Lord and Savior, unless we embrace how Jesus saves us and commit to following him in the way of that salvation. The 16th century German theologian Martin Luther, the founder of our branch of Christianity, Martin Luther once said, A faith that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Gospel writers like Luke are not simply aiming for us to correctly define who Jesus is. They are seeking for us to be shaped as people, to be shaped as a community that follows Christ's teachings and actions. The answer that Jesus, to the question Jesus asks of us is more than a matter of doctrine. It is one of discipleship. The answer to the question of who do you say that I am informs the answer of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. For what we believe and confess about Christ should inform and guide what we live by and for day after day. Because the way we live in the present with with and for Jesus, the way we live in the present determines our relationship to Christ in the future. We are becoming who we shall be. And being a disciple is more than just being a student of Jesus, it is following Christ. Learning from Jesus demands doing like Jesus, being in Christ, experiencing life with Jesus, becoming again in Christ, the best version of ourselves to the glory of God. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.